We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. want to welcome back everyone for a new year. It's 2020, and we are going to start off the new decade by taking a look back at the previous decade, which I think was a really good decade for sports movies. I wanted to break down what my five favorite sports movies of the decade were, and I got some great guests to do that with. I was joined by Kent Garrison and Brian Gill, who make up two-thirds of the incredibly popular long-running movie podcast, Mad About Movies. Definitely go check them out. I was very fortunate these guys took the time. We recorded this way back in November, but uh, you know I couldn't figure out when to run it. Decided to, uh, to make it the first episode of 2020. I think the only thing that we might have brought up that would have possibly not been evergreen is the stellar play of Luka Doncic, but that's aged pretty well, so, uh, so no problems there. I think we had some great variety in our respective lists, along with a bit of overlap. Uh, you'll note that Brian and I definitely overlap in our least favorite sports movie of the decade. If you've been a longtime listener, I'm uh, I'm sure you know what that is. It was just a really fun episode to record. Good one to start the year off with. If you've been a fan of this podcast, I'm sure you'll enjoy it, and I'm hopeful to get both these guys back on at some point this year. Uh, make sure to give them a follow and check out their other ventures besides Mad About Movies. If you are enjoying Big Screen Sports and enjoyed any of the episodes that we did in the past year, which are all evergreen, can be listened to anytime. We covered a lot of great movies. We covered some kind of bad movies, too. Uh, and you haven't yet, please you know, use your podcasting app. Leave a quick five-star rating, and if you so wish a review, I will read out all new reviews at time of recording. Let me know what you think, and those ratings are so important to me for uh, my own personal ego and for helping you know grow this podcast. If you're not subscribed, Please make sure you do. You get episodes breaking down sports movies every Monday. The rest of January, it's going to be a good one. We got Bloodsport with Mike Camerlingo coming back, Balls of Fury with my old pal Jared Borslow, and we got a special guest to cover Days of Thunder at the end of the month. Make sure you're following on Twitter at big underscore screen sport, Instagram at big screen sports pod, so you are up to date on when those episodes are going to drop. But with that, it is time to kick off 2020 with Brian and Kent from Mad About Movies. All right, joining me today, they are the co-hosts of the Mad About Movies podcast, Brian Gill and Kent Garrison. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today for this episode. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, having, for us. having us, man. 
Of course. Um, first, can you guys talk about what you do at Mad About Movies? And then, Brian, I know you have another project that you want to bring up as well. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, Kent, you, you tell us about Mad About Movies, and then I'll plug my other thing. Yeah, we do Mad About Movies. Um, it's uh, available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We do a weekly podcast um, discussing a movie of the week. Usually it's the most popular movie that week. Um, but we do a lot of throwback episodes, too. We a lot of list episodes. We talk about the Oscars. Um, we have a movie draft every year. So, uh, yeah, Brian and I have been doing that show for about seven, eight years now, yeah, something like that. And, it feels like, yeah. <laughs> and I jumped in podcasting full-time this past year with The Athletic, doing sports podcasts and NFL podcasts. And you can catch that work over at theathletic.com and uh, About Them Cowboys on iTunes. Nice, nice. Yeah, Kent said we've been doing Mad About Movies since uh, very early 2013, so we're coming up on seven years of that. And uh, and then I have another podcast as well that is all basketball-focused. It started kind of as a, uh, a spinoff on our VIP feed. We have a, a Patreon feed for uh, for our most hardcore listeners. So it started there with me and Richard, the other co-host of Mad About Movies, and then has morphed into me and a, a friend of mine, Tobin. And yeah, we do a weekly show, sometimes twice weekly, and just talk about everything that's happening in the NBA and try to do fun stuff with bits and uh, games and things like that as well to keep it fresh. And yeah, it's 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 gone quite well. It just started, so we're any support we can get, we're we're happy to get. That's called spread the floor again. Okay, well, everyone definitely go subscribe to those. Um, the fact that you guys have been doing Mad About Movies for so long, it seems like you're almost in on the ground floor in terms of uh, <laughs> of podcasting, and you're the perfect guest for this episode because uh, today we are going to break down our, our top five individual individual favorite sports movies from this decade. We're coming up, you know, this episode coming up on the end of a uh, of a decade of sports movies. And I, I think this decade was a little better than the last decade. I was kind of looking at it the last decade. A lot of the best stuff is kind of like uh, you remember the Titans, the rookie million dollar baby. If you're into that uh, mm. sugar, I comparing the movies, I, I think this decade was a little bit better. So we're going to go in reverse order five to one. Um, talk about which movies you know we we enjoyed the most. But before we get going, guys, I want to hear from you. I ask every guest this. What makes a good sports movie? Kent, I'll start with you. You know, I think it's honesty, honestly. Uh, the ones that I like the most are probably the most um, gritty, probably a little bit the most um, on a true to the actual events instead of like hamming it up for entertainment or comedy value and stuff like that. So, you know, and I like an unexpected story, you know, kind of the behind the scenes stories about, um, you know, not the star player. I like, I, I really like the, um, the business aspect of sports a lot. So some of the movies that you'll see on my list kind of reflect that, but, but yeah, I would say like a really honest, gritty, um, almost visceral movie is what I look for in a sports movie. Okay. Brian, what about you? Yeah. Kids got some good stuff there. I, I like that or I can handle it too. If you just go kind of goofy with it, I'm fine with that as well. What I, I get, I get a little bit caught because I am such a sports guy and basketball has always been my favorite sport as well. So basketball movies in particular, I feel like I get, I start getting nitpicky real fast when 
the uh, when the basketball action feels fake, you know, and and and, and they're not kind of leaning into that. So I, if you're not gonna do be sort of authentic, at least in the game action, whether it's basketball, football, or baseball, or or whatever tennis, I don't care. Then I would prefer just to kind of lean into that feeling a little bit, uh, almost like like the Fresh Prince, you know, and some of those basketball games and that and that show and stuff. Um, it, it bugs me a little bit when we start to get into. I'm supposed to believe that this is real, but you're doing stuff that is so ridiculous compared to, you know, what is reality, if that makes sense. So I can, you're I can handle either the way. I don't like the middle. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're, you're, this, that's like the, the mission statement of this podcast. And I'm not really sure I've ever answered this question myself, but it, it it's really a lot of what you said. It has to feel authentic. Um, you have to lean into the sports. And if you don't, you know, if you're, if you're not going to do that, it needs to be something that's more like aloof, like a comedy or where you're not trying to be self-serious. I think uh, I, I was looking at one of y'all's list of your uh, your 10 least favorite movies, which is on your website. And Brian, I think you had trouble with the curve on there. Oh, my gosh. I hate that movie. So which, much. in my opinion, oh. not to not to spoil what my pick for worst <laughs> sports movie of the decade is. Yeah, but it is the worst. And I think it's the worst because it is self-serious. Like yeah. it thinks it's really smart. It thinks it's like Moneyball smart. And it's not. It just it's really dumb. Yeah. So, I could do uh, I could do four hours on trouble with the curve. That is still and I've only seen it once and that was however many years ago and it it has scarred me for life. That's a horrible, horrible film. I see we did that on episode eight and I, I do want to revisit. I kinda wanna talk <laughs> about it at least like once a year. Because it just it <laughs> ages worse and worse. Yeah. But um let's get into our top fives. Uh, Brian, let's start with you. What is your, your fifth favorite, most favorite sports movie from this past decade? Sure. I tried to, you know, I went back and looked through all my lists. I'm, I'm crazy about archiving things. I know it annoys the crap out of Kent sometimes when I'm like, let me pull up my spreadsheet, my spreadsheet and, uh, and dig into this. But I was looking back at my list and tried to, to find some, some varying picks that weren't just going to be our, our very like Moneyball. I'm sure we're all going to have Moneyball on our list, that kind of thing. Um, this movie came out in 2012. Very few people saw it. I had the, uh, the good fortune of seeing, I think the pretty much the world premiere of it here in Dallas with, uh, can't you like this with Donnie Nelson in the house? Donnie Nelson. Was, nice. Was, was he, too. uh, did he have a doobie in his <laughs> mouth? <laughs> 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 yeah. Donnie Nelson, not Don Nelson, but I'm sure Don. Oh, Don, Donnie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Donnie will get there someday. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Just about Don. Yeah. Gotta, gotta let him retire and then uh, he can, he can enjoy his father's lifestyle. But uh, no, this movie's called the other dream team and it's about the 92 uh, Olympics, which was the dream team. That's the, the Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen team and all that. Uh, the other really interesting aspect of that Olympics was uh, the team that was made up of the former uh, Soviet Union countries. And so because that had just happened, they had just split into their own countries and stuff. And they sort of formed, uh, they had they had various teams um, that took place. So the, this one was about the Lithuanian team that uh, that participated in that Olympics, and I think in the ADA, and it had like uh, Arvita Sabonis and Sarunas Marshallonis and some other guys who they may not be household names to the average basketball watcher now, but they played a huge, huge role in the kind of globalization of the game of basketball right now. So like right now I'm watching 
last night's Mavs Knicks game on in the background while we're doing this because I hate myself and I'm going to torture myself through through a bad loss. But tough loss, yeah, tough loss. But we got Luca, we've got KP, we've got uh, the the NBA has Giannis. You know, the international flavor has just completely taken over the league, and a big part of that is uh, is the globalization and, and the 92 Olympics and, and whatnot. So anyway, that documentary is really good. Um, I have no idea where you can even find it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere for free. Certainly maybe you can find it on Amazon or something, but it's really cool. Uh, the grateful dead play a big part in the fundraising essentially for that team so that they could have the money to go and compete and the great Bill Walton played a huge role in that too. So he's as in the documentary. As soon as you said Grateful Dead, I had to ask, like, is, is Walton in this yeah. documentary? Yeah, so I don't, just a little, I won't give a spoiler for anything. I mean, it's a documentary, but uh, you can Wikipedia it as well. But but uh, Walton, essentially Bill Walton served as like an ambassador for this team and they needed money and they needed support and all this sort of stuff just to get off the ground floor. And they sold uh, these grateful dead inspired tie-dye t-shirts as part of the whole process to to make this happen so bill walton's in the doc i love anything with bill walton i'm i'm a big bill walton stand uh and the whole documentary is really really good and they got some great footage and good interviews and stuff too it's it's again it's one that few people have seen but it is it is really worth your time and really worth checking out great great human interest story as well yeah, I admittedly haven't seen it, but anything with Walton on camera, like it has me. <laughs> yeah, he's I'm, the best, man. I'm all in on that guy. Kent, what was your uh, your number five? Yeah, just at the outset, I just want to say I'm a little thrown off by the fact that uh, this is 2010 to now because <laughs> they stopped making Airbud movies in 2003. And so that eliminated <laughs> pretty much my top five because yeah. there are five of mm-hmm. them. All, all the Oscar winners, right? Yeah, when we did our yeah when we did our favorite movies of 1995 to 2009 on the show. It was a really random episode. We did. Kent just had all Air Buds. The entire yeah, list it was super Air easy, Buds. so I didn't even have to think. <laughs> and You'll have any, to come back on when we cover uh, the Air Bud movies. Well, no, I mean anyone that knows the movies knows that Air Bud Four Seventh Inning Fetch is the best one. You don't even have to. <laughs> oh my god, there's not even a point in doing the, doing the episode. But uh, all that to say, man, uh, my number five, I've got a lot of documentaries on my list. And, um, you know, I, I'm i just so grateful for the 30 for 30 series. I'm ter- sure we'll talk talk about it a lot more. Um, but in my opinion, the, the best, the greatest Bill Simmons contribution ever is the 30 for 30 um, and kind of what he did to spar that. But, um, but yeah, I think it was a great look for ESPN to do these and to put these stories out there. And I'm sure it has inspired a lot of more documentaries to come out. And they've been doing them. You know, they, I guess they initially planned on doing 30 of them, but they've done, I don't know, over 50 of them now. Um, and, and they split them off into the soccer story series and the uh, nine for nine, which is about women. Um, so really, really big fan of this series. And um you can what? argue that because of 30 for 30, it's been the best decade ever for sports documentaries. Oh, uh, all but down. I think six of them have aired during this decade. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's some good ones in the 90s too, Hoop Dreams and, um, you know, some of those. But the the 30 for 30s, I mean, it's honestly hard for me not to make my whole top five 30 for 30s, but mm-hmm. I did I did change it up. So. My number five is one of those, and it's The Price of Gold, and it's about the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan incident at the Olympics. There's been a violent attack on an American athlete. Nancy Kerrigan was attacked as she left the ice. Attacked by an unknown assailant. It was such a bizarre story that you just kind of went, what? I'm trying to get a description from the lady. Right now. No. 
There, there must be some mistake. That just doesn't happen. Security is high. They're doing a thorough investigation to try and find the man who did it. NBC's now breaking the story that Tanya Harding... Authorities are focusing their attention on Tanya Harding. Plot designed to steal Olympic gold. I mean, the rumors were just flying immediately. Wouldn't it be wild if Tanya had something to do with this? And, um, you know, I, Tanya, came out a few years ago. It was a much more dramatized, you know, hammed up version of the story, but... That's just such an insane story to me, and uh, it's a really well-executed documentary because, you know, Tanya Harding's essentially kind of narrating the whole thing and telling her side of the story, and you really do kind of feel for her in the end and what her life was about and the people she got involved with that were kind of off the rails and stuff, and it's a great it's a great documentary. You know, I liked it more than the movie. Um, uh, it was hard for me to even concentrate on the movie having seen this before, but I think it's really well done, and I was waiting for... Like right when they announced 30 for 30, that was like the number one um, one that I wanted them to do was that story. And when they did it, 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 to me, it led up to the hype and my expectation for it. And definitely worth checking out if you're not familiar with the, uh, I guess, the Galuli um, experiment <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, but yeah, Price of Gold is strong and it's my number five. Yeah, it was the same for me in trying to not make my list all 30 for 30. I did an honorable mentions in the intro, and I pretty much just put down all the 30 for 30s. I mean, they're... I mean, you look at, if you just look down the list, they're all like, oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. That was, I mean, personally, I love uh, The Pony Excess. I love Best That Never Was. Uh, I think the Allen Iverson one was excellent. But I mean, you can't, it's hard to name a bad one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some though. <laughs> there are I, <laughs> I yeah, I bought the uh, like the Blu-ray set and there's some that just feel so thrown together and almost like student filmy. Some but that that's came fine, out but some after, of them are really strong. Yeah, that original 30, even like the next 30, I think were pretty solid. They're not to I mean Bill Simmons annoys me at times, but I think not having his oversight on things uh, as it as it progressed, that series just kind of be like, oh, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. scored 13 points last night. Let's do a 30 for 30. You know, it was really <laughs> right. just kind of, uh, well, we can slap this together. But uh, those first, probably the first 60, I would say, are just unreal for the most part. Yeah, they've gotten less must watch. Like you've still sure. got the, yeah. you know, like I've, I've still got them, you know, set to record on YouTube TV whenever they come on. But there's nothing that's you know like the uh, like the Deion Sanders one. Yeah, that okay. one. That one did not. That one did not lead up to my what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Wanted it to Same. be. That was yeah. a good example of one that that let me down. That was recent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for the most part, it, it, the the documentary series is incredible. The decades much better for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think yeah, we're going to be talking time. about it a little bit later. Uh, my number five was Everybody Wants Some. It was the the Richard Linklater. It was nice. the spiritual uh, sequel to um, to Days and Confused. It spoke personally to me. I, I played small college baseball. It's just like a masterfully crafted depiction of uh, of like the dynamics of a college baseball team just set over a weekend, like how they blend, how they go out together, how they get to know each other. Uh, Glenn Powell is incredible in it. The guy is just like, I've got so much Glenn Powell stock, which I mean, he's, he's gonna, he's in Top Gun too. Like, I think everyone's Mm -hmm. about to have a lot of Glenn Powell stock, but (laughs) he's, he's fantastic in the movie. It's just really enjoyable. There's really not too much baseball in it. There's really one big baseball scene, but they got athletes for it. Uh, the guy whose name I can never pronounce Tyler Hotchlin or something. He played it, uh, (laughs) 
UC Irvine. They got Houston Streets' brother uh, is one of the guys on the team. I, I love Everybody Wants Some. I think way more people need to see it. I'm pretty sure it's streaming on Prime. It, at least it was when I watched it, and I I am just all in on that movie. I love Everybody Wants Some. That's one of my, I think that was in my, I think it was like my number three movie of that year. One of the better theater experiences I had that year as well. Love that movie. Love Days and Confused. Love, we're all big Richard Linklater fans. I didn't, I didn't put it in my list because I just thought it's not, I'm super qualified in everything I do. It's very annoying even to myself. And I was like, eh, there's only like one scene that's really sport. So when I'm trying to cut stuff down and I've got 20 movies that I'm trying to squeeze into five spots, that was one of the qual. I was like, eh, I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. Hoping that somebody else would bring it up too. I'm glad you yeah, did. That's, that's a legitimate film. argument with the movie is that there's really not a ton of sports. The actual, the actual on-field baseball in it. But in terms of dynamics, I think the sport defines the whole movie. It defines the team. Mm. So that I'm going to count it just because I love that movie. I yeah. wanted an excuse to talk about totally. it for a couple yeah. minutes. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a strong one. My uh, fiance doesn't get it at all. Didn't get it. <laughs> and I was like, I call her crazy. Does she like you know? Dazed and Confused, though? Loves she, it, Dazed and Confused. Okay. Didn't Mine get didn't get it, get it either. Some. She and wasn't was big like, on it at all. I, to me, I thought it was, you know, part of the same breath. Like, to me, it was very similar, like, it, you know, for the same audience, you know, but... um. But yeah, man, strong movie and one of my one of my um, top of that year, and uh, one that I need to rewatch again because I don't think I've seen it since it came out on like right when it came out on video, mm-hmm. right when, like the first year. So mm-hmm. need to give that one a rewatch. Really, yeah, really I mean, I will uh, I will say that the uh, one of the bigger differences to that in Days and Confused, I think Days and Confused has a few more female characters in terms of like stronger female characters like more more you know written out there's there's really just the uh the love interest i think and and everybody wants some played by uh zoe zoe the the deutsch yeah yeah who who was also in another movie that uh this set it up with uh glenn powell which i also loved um you might just turn this podcast into a podcast. <laughs> uh, let's let's get into our number fours. Kent, I want to start with yours because it's something that's also on my list. Yeah, my number four is uh, Rush from Ron Howard. This is an incredible battle between these two great drivers. Next time I'll have you. No chance. You're just a party guy. That's why everybody likes you. Yes, I know. I'm terrible. No, you're not terrible. You're just who you are at this point in your life. To be a champion, it takes more than just being quick. You have to really believe it. I've been waiting for this my whole life. I can beat this guy, trust me. He's consistent, dependable. Will he put his life on the line the day that really matters? It's the movie about Nikki Lauda, um, the race car driver, uh, and it's got Chris Hemsworth, in it um and daniel brule um you know i like ron howard and he can be kind of down the middle a lot of times with this stuff and he hasn't taken a lot of risks in his career but um Mm -hmm. you know i feel like this is one of the bigger leaps he's taken to make a movie about about indie car racing knowing it's it doesn't have that big of of a mass appeal and thinking he could really bring some cinematic flair to that experience um this is one of the better big screen experiences I've had watching a sports movie really liked it. And, um, you know, indie cars just go sag- so daggum fast. I mean, <laughs> I remember seeing like an IMAX indie car or something when I was like in the nineties 
um, and it was made like to make you feel like you're in the car, you know, like, I don't know, Omni theater type thing, Brian, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And, yeah. uh, it's just mind blowing if you actually are, could actually feel like you're going as fast as they do. And I think Rush is really, really well shot. Yeah, sequence in the rain just always sticks out to me. The sunsets, the whole experience of how Ron Howard put this thing together is is good. And it's my favorite Hemsworth performance outside of maybe Cabin in the Woods or the Avengers series. So mm-hmm. um so yeah, I love love me some uh some rush and uh you know, wish Ron Howard would do more stuff like this. Yeah, Hemsworth and uh and Brule are both throwing like hundred and three miles an hour in this movie. They're both yeah. just mm-hmm. incredible. This one was my number three. Uh yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I don't know anything about F1. I especially didn't when I watched this. I've now watched the the Netflix Drive to Survive series, which is awesome. If uh, yeah. if anyone listening hasn't checked that out, the the Formula One show. But yeah, I mean, the the race sequences are fantastic. This is one I you mentioned it being an awesome theater experience. I think I got robbed by not seeing this in the theater. So did a lot of people. It didn't yeah. make a ton of money. And that felt like at the time, I remember us talking about it, Ken, just being like, why didn't people see this? Because that's, oh, man, you're really you're getting a different movie if you're seeing this, you know, on your 40 inch TV at home than you're <laughs> than you would be in a theater for sure. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really, really good, though. Uh, Brian, I, would, I would recommend Rush to to anyone. Yeah. Why do sure. you think something like um I mean, there's a lot more star power in something like 4V Ferrari, but, you know, subject mm-hmm. matter is kind of similar. Why do you think that's getting so much more attention in the award circuit than something like Rush got? I don't know, because at the time, let's see, Rush came out in 2013. So that was our first year of doing the show. I When we reviewed it, I was like, this is going to be a, a big player in the in the uh, Oscar game and the award season and stuff. And it really was. I mean, it had a couple of, of Golden Globe nominations, but I don't know what it... I mean, I know it wasn't up for any of the big Oscars uh, or at all. I didn't get any Oscars. Jeez, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I don't know. It, it it seems odd to me. Maybe just we weren't ready to. Uh, I mean, F one's not a huge thing over here, and maybe that's a maybe that's part of it. I I don't know. Ford versus Ferrari. I'll say to your listeners, Kyle. I I just like I we started ten minutes late because I was coming straight from a showing of of Ford versus Ferrari and. I had to fight the urge to put that in my top five here just after one. It was, it's so outstanding, but it does kind of, uh, it takes, it gets to, uh, it gets to walk because, uh, rush crawled kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Right. It's a funny, uh, but it works really well. No, no, I love rush too. This was, you know, I mean, uh, as I have said many times on our show, I'm a, I'm a Chris Hemsworth fan first and a human being second. And so if it had, uh, if it had come out, maybe, maybe like now, maybe yeah. not right with Ford versus Ferrari. Cause they'd just be getting sure. compared together. But like last year, you know, after Avengers, cause I, I think Thor, Thor had come out before, mm-hmm. before rush yes. came out, but he still wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't Chris yet. Hemsworth yeah. yet. No, no question. No question. Chris Hemsworth's great because that was, and Kent, I know you're, you're in my, my, uh, I think you're in my, the same boat as me on this one, but like when we saw some of those movies, those early movies and Rush was one of them, I was like, that dude's a movie star. We don't do movie stars very, very often anymore. It's an industry that now is, is built more on the property and, uh, the spectacle and what I want to agree know. with you, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. But yeah. the, the proof has not been there. Yeah, I, mean, I know, I know. But that's that's <laughs> yeah. what I see when I see him on screen. I'm like, gotcha. dude, if you put him in the right roles, this dude's this dude is a movie star. So yeah. we'll see if that if that translates post Fat Thor and such. But, um, but you can see. <laughs> 
you can kind of see the the uh, the foundation of that when he's on screen. And, well, and this was Rush had to be carried by a movie star. I'm not sure it's as good if someone like if not Hemsworth is playing James Hunt. Daniel Brule is just he's solid. Mm-hmm. He's really solid. But if you don't have someone with like the charisma and just can bring out that role, I, I don't think it's as good. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. But you're right, Kent. Like it, it will. The difference between being a great actor and a movie star is: do you get butts and seats? And at this point, right. Chris Hemsworth does not. And so that will be the that will be the the test on him because I think the acting chops are there. Not that he's like, I don't know, Gary Oldman or something, but he's he's an incredibly talented actor with a ton of charisma, and uh, I would like to see that translate to to full on uh, movie star status for sure. I would think yeah, very versatile. Yeah, my my kind of qualifier there is like a movie star can put butts in seats regardless of whether the movie sucks or not. Like The Rock can do that, and you know, you know, as soon as Men in Black International came out, people heard it sucked. Like no one went and saw it, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that everyone loves Hemsworth. So we'll see. That's very true. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone really like went to see Black Hat or anything either. <laughs> Brian did. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Michael Mann, bro, you're you're hurting me, man. You're hurting. Got to see, got to see it. It's terrible. Uh, I, I'm gonna do my my number four because I think we'll talk about it a little less. I think Brian's number four is gonna be another subject mm. of a long discussion. Um, mine was the Diego Maradona documentary that just came out here in, mm. uh, in 2019. I'll be kind of brief about it. If you, if you want my full feelings on Diego Maradona, release an episode kind of breaking it down. Um, I guess like two months from when this episode or two months before when this episode airs, uh, I think it might've, I mean, and this is, this might be a recency bias thing. Like Brian, you just getting out of the theater of seeing Ford versus Ferrari. But mm-hmm. when I finished it, I was like, that might've been the best sports documentary I've ever seen. It was very unique. Um, it had like, it was just flowing action. Didn't feel like you were watching a documentary where you're taking kind of mental breaks and just listening to someone speak for a little bit. It was just continuous flowing action. I didn't know that much about Diego Maradona before I saw it, which I think almost like kind of helped because totally. it was like a, a new story on, you know, unveiling in front of me. I just wish it was like, eight hours longer like they had done it like the oj made in america documentary when it was i think that was five two hour yeah uh it was a 10 hour movie yeah yeah it was but the the diego maradona documentary is just fantastic i don't know if you guys have have seen it yet but it is awesome i have yeah it's really it's it's very interesting you you had a good point there too i think a big part for me in a sports movie especially if it's based on a true story or is a documentary so therefore is a true story it's i'm much more interested when i don't know a whole lot about it um at least when it comes to these sports sports movies biopics kind of the same thing it's like the less i know the more likely i am to be interested because i'm getting a story not just seeing it seeing a story i know transpire on on screen uh but that maradona doc is really good there's a netflix series too on Maradona that just dropped like this week, I think, or when we're recording, it just dropped this week. So that may be worth checking out as well. I haven't, I haven't seen any of it yet, but, uh, but I saw it pop up in my feed the other day. It looks, looks interesting. Yeah. I might, I'm, I honestly kind of like want to rewatch the documentary again. Like it was just that good. It's really good. Yeah. yeah just excellent. Brian, let's do your, your number four and let's all talk about it. It's on all, <laughs> it's, it's on all of our lists. Sure. Sure. My number four movie is Moneyball. I need more money. We're not New York. Find players with the money that we do have. 
I like Perez. Got an ugly girlfriend. Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. You guys are talking the same old nonsense. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. Who's Fabio? Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. This is a movie for me. This is one that ha- that has grown on me since since I first saw it. Uh, baseball tends baseball to me. I'm, I'm not trying to knock you, Kyle, or any baseball fans or baseball players. No, no I'm disrespect. so much less interested in baseball, the sport, than I am basketball, football, soccer, uh, lacrosse. I mean, like almost almost anything. There's part. There's times when I love baseball, but baseball makes great movies, and this was uh, this is a, a really solid one. I think at the time. I had just read Moneyball. Uh, I I'm a Rangers fan, and so I hate the A's. You know, <laughs> so I have like a little Rangers bit of run the World Series them. this year too. <laughs> <laughs> that that the uh, Moneyball came out. Yeah, uh, so they yeah, were relevant. Yeah, they were. This time. They were. Yeah. So um, there were things I didn't love about this movie first go round, like the fact that they just completely never mentioned the starting pitching whatsoever. Just pretended like all of this is David Justice. It has nothing to do with. Zito and Mulder and the rest of that crew. Probably the best top three in a rotation until (laughs) until this year's Astros or Nationals. It's not minimized. Like they do, I I rewatched this a couple, a few weeks ago. They do not mention the starters one time in the movie. And I think that that drove me nuts. However, uh, I've probably watched this movie 20 times since 2011. It is. It is great comfort food. I put it on the background. It looks great. The acting is great because it's freaking Brad Pitt, and and uh, that's always the the score is really really subtle and and good. And it's just it is a very aesthetically pleasing movie as well, and uh, has has grown on me greatly since since two thousand eleven. Yeah, I think Kent, you had this as number two. I had it as number one. Um, it is incredibly rewatchable and that is thanks Mm -hmm. to, I think FX has it on pretty much every day. It feels like, (laughs) um, this introduced us to legitimate actor, Jonah Hill. Sure. I I remember seeing when Jonah Hill was like cast and I was like, Hmm, the super bad guy, that same Jonah Hill, that guy. Uh, but he's awesome. Um, the, the action, the baseball action they show is really good. Although the, I, I'm still, to this day, I'm still not sure how I feel about it looking like the stadium is almost pitch black, <laughs> that that style. But kind of like you said, they don't touch on the, you know, the um, the pitching trio. The book kind of ignores that a little bit, too. But like they don't mention Miguel Tejada at all, Jermaine Dye at all. Um, so you, you really have to look at it, take this as a movie, as what's on screen and not as a diehard true story. Uh, they don't sure. have like yeah. the the draft was a big part about the book that's completely out. Um, but in terms of of what's on screen, it is it just awesome. It has the the big chill moment, which is like the the Hatterberg home run to uh, to to win that game. It's just like it sends a chill down my spine every single time I watch it. Yeah, man. Uh, Moneyball is super strong. I love it. Love Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, you know, the scene I always think about is the scene where they're sitting in, he's, where he's sitting in the clubhouse with all the scouts and he's telling them how, you know, why do we play the game to get on base, you know? And he's, and he's trying to convince these old scouts about this new way of thinking. I just think that's so well written. I think Sorkin had a, had a hand in this movie too. Yeah. 
He did. Yeah, he was one and, of the co-writers. Uh, yeah, and man, this is just. Uh, I mean, it almost you know, I, I said at the outset like reality is always better than kind of the narrative version of that, and you know, to me, the best sports series of the past decade or plus is Hard Knocks, and this is this to me feels like Hard Knocks, like the way they talk to each other, the way. You know, just the settings of the clubhouse where they're just talking about the Coke machine and stuff, you know. Um, I love that. And, you know, this introduced us to serious actor Chris Pratt, too, as well, not just mm-hmm. uh, Jonah oh, Hill. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, he was only Andy Dwyer up to this point. Yeah. Um, and Pratt's so good in this, too. He is, that's yeah. Really you almost good. forget it's him. And he's just so so low-key and, and, and good in it. Um, it's got a good guy playing Ron Washington. It's always good to have <laughs> it. First base is easy. Tell wash. wash. It's extremely hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. And yeah, man, this one, it's not my favorite baseball movie even, you know? It's not even my top three baseball. I mean, it's in my top three baseball movies. Probably my number three. I like Herky of the Year and The Sandlot. Um, those are probably my, my, those. you know, I got a, a kid, 90s kid bias there, but... Um, You're going to not want to listen to our episode covering Rookie of the Year then. Oh, man. How dare when, you? How when was the last you? time you... When was the last time you watched it? Is oh, I dude, I watch it every person. year. Every year. Oh, yeah. yeah. So good. Henry Rowan Gardner. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. love, love me some hot ice. <laughs> love the three C's. Yeah. You know, uh, the three That's R's. Readiness, thing. recuperation, yeah. and conditioning. Love oh, it. Um, so much. Ugh. So yeah, good. but everyone anyway. who loves Rookie of the Year needs to direct their love to Little Big League instead. No, Little Big League's strong, but oh. it's not Rookie of the Year. Little Big I'm League is fantastic. I'm yeah. also a Twins fan, so I grew up wanting to be <laughs> Billy Haywood. Uh. <laughs> and the yeah. fact that uh, you know Chet Stedman, the Rocket, come on, uh, I don't. We don't need to go down that path. But uh, but yeah, Moneyball strong. You mentioned how it was shot. I love how it's shot. I love the opening sequence where yeah. They're showing the replay of the game, and he's sitting in the stadium listening to it on the radio, and that whole thing is great. Um, and you know, I've mimicked even that style in my own sports documentaries that I've produced. Uh, that you know how they kind of rewind those games uh, that have already happened, and this is the way that that's presented. Uh, Bennett Miller does a great job here, and mm-hmm. Sally hasn't lived up to the hype of this movie since. You know, I thought Foxcatcher was going to be like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Um, like the best picture winner, like Channing Tatum and Carell and everything. It, and it uh, was good, but it wasn't great. So to I me, love this the, is uh, great. the young Billy Bean scenes too, how they kind of make the movie uh-huh. about not a referendum on Billy Bean, but just more about Billy Bean as opposed to the, the sabermetrics revolution. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it's, uh, yeah. I mean, Moneyball is just, is is so good. I mean, obviously, the best scene in the movie is when the 2002 Twins beat the A's, which I think we all, <laughs> we all can agree is wonderful to see. Yeah. I like, um, I love Pitt in this, too. This might be my top two or three Pitt performances ever, too. I love him. He's so, look, like, down, downplays the entire thing. He's got swagger. He's a dad, so you like, has that <laughs> emotional appeal, you know? Sure. That whole, like, thing with his daughter in the music store kills me every time you, you oh, know it just yeah. melts me every time so it's good. a good parenting movie yeah it is it really is yeah and it's also i mean we talked about a little with hemsworth that's a movie star performance right there because you just have him there's scenes where he's literally just walking through the seniors like gosh dang look at that guy you know it's 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 brad pitt man yeah and you know it's amazing the last thing i'll say on it we'll move on but it's, a, it's amazing how much that happens in real sports like 
what happens to him where he gets this job to go to the Red Sox and stays back because of his daughter, you know, and and they end up winning the World Series two years mm-hmm. later, you know, and man, that happens more than you would think. It's just opportunities come along and people actually have lives and families that they have to deal with, <laughs> you know, and that to consider. And man, it, it really, this one really kind of shows the, I don't know, not the fan side of sports, but like the executives, like what they go through, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. So it's that a really good. deep look. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really good. Brian, it's like the, let's... the good version of draft day, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah. God, draft day is, uh, we, we, we all have also covered uh draft day with another Dallas guy, uh, Kevin Turner. Oh, oh yeah, he's on my yeah. uh, Cowboys podcast. KT, uh, yeah, KT, yeah. We did uh, KT, yeah. we did draft day. We did draft day on draft day. We released it back in April. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, Kent yeah. and I were at a concert with KT last night. It's kind of funny. Yeah, we were. Shout, <laughs> shouts to KT, man. It was one of my favorite episodes. Uh, the yeah, audio. Got, if you go back and listen, the audio quality was shit, but had a, had mm. a great time. Brian, let's get to your number three, uh, which sure. I think is is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> it is, it is. Like I'm super biased on this. I admit this is not. This may not be a uh, a, a very uh, practical choice, but uh, I'm from Dallas. I'm a basketball guy. Dirk Nowitzki is my sports hero, and I call him my grandfather, and I love him very much. Uh, the the documentary, which I think is still on Netflix, if you haven't seen it, is called uh, Nowitzki: The Perfect Shot. And it just, it's, it's half about him and it's half about, uh, his, his trainer Holger, who is just this kind of, uh, Mr. Miyagi figure in a way. Like he's just a, he's, he's a, a very strange guy who came up as a physicist in Germany and put his, uh, brain to the concept of, of athletics and basketball and trying to find the person that could, that was willing to, do his very strange strength training and practices and all this sort of stuff and discovered Dirk at the age of like 13 and uh, put him through these weird drills and stuff for years and years and years and produced Dirk Nowitzki, one of the, the, the best basketball players of all time. And, uh, and certainly my favorite. So it's, it's a really interesting doc um, that uh, I would, I would hope people would, would check out, especially since again, I, th- I really think it's on Netflix. So, that makes it pretty uh, pretty accessible and easy to find. But it's a really solid little movie that uh, I cried through the entire movie because I just love Dirk so much, and I, he's, he's near and dear to my heart. I'm sure they'll make a great Luca one in like 25 years. <laughs> I hope so. Can't, let's start directing that right now. Let's, let's work on Man, that. Man, you know what? I'm not joking you. I approached Mark Cuban about doing a documentary on Luca nice. uh, to follow him, and he said it would be too much of a distraction because he would – ham it up for the cameras and like <laughs> it wouldn't be authentic you know like gotcha. i mean imagine being 20 years old and saying hey we're gonna make a documentary about you at 20 yeah. and i was like yeah good point you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to like screw yeah. this kid up at this young of an age yeah you know? totally. so i didn't even fight him on it yeah but. the Novitsky doc came out uh, in 2015 so it was like post championship it was post him sort of shedding the soft Euro tag, like the culmination of, of all the things that he was working for had already been accomplished. And so the documentary feels complete in a way, which is, which is kind of interesting on a sports from a sports side of things. Cause um, you know, there's, there's always like uh, there's a biography out on, 
<laughs> you know, Chris stops for Ziggs. You're like, what? That he's he's 23. There's so much more. To go. <laughs> so this kind of felt like a it had come complete in a way, and it was it's really solid. So check that out for sure. God, Porzingis only being 23, it feels like he's been around. <laughs> he might since be 2000. It might be a little off on that, but it's close. You know what? I mean? But he, my point is, his life is not. His career is still just starting, really, and so you see that all the time with sports book. Like I remember, I'm a huge Allen Iverson fan. And the first Allen Iverson biography came out when he was like 27 years old. You're like, no, that's not really necessary at this point. We have a long, hopefully a long ways to go. But anyway, the, the doc is, is very, very solid. I hope this um, Michael Jordan doc that's coming out next year. Oh, I'm so pumped. It's like, man. what, it's, it's 10 parts, isn't it, or yeah, something? I think so. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope How it much wins is every his award. thumb on that, though? Um, apparently he doesn't. No, apparently he's not for it. Like, he doesn't. He doesn't want it to come out. Like, oh, that I, makes I me saw even more excited for yeah, it then. Same. Because yeah. he knows it's going to go into the gambling and stuff. Like, um, I think the he Phantom has, suspension? I think the same guy mm-hmm. is doing it that did the OJ one. So I think you're um, right, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. he. I saw him on something recently talking about it. Um, he, well, he had some controversial quote saying... Uh, Steph Curry's not an MVP yet, or not a not, not a, a Hall of, not Famer, a Hall of yet. Famer yet. It was in that interview where he was saying he didn't want it to come out or whatever. But uh, yeah, I hope that is the greatest sports documentary movie ever, <laughs> and it wins mm-hmm. every Oscar because that's the greatest story in sports history is is MJ. So I'm excited for that one. Well, if sorry about sorry Dirk, but uh, <laughs> if there's anyone who's known for being like a really reasonable and just a good sport, it's Michael Jordan. So I'm sure he's going to stride. <laughs> yeah, I know that's what's going to make it all. even greater. Yeah, and they're going to do like three episodes on the making of Space Jam. So can't wait for that. And oh, all that. love love Space Jam all timer. <laughs> Kent, let's get into uh, let's get into your number three, which is my number two, and Brian's number one. So oh, talk coming. Yeah. Yeah, this one is uh, Creed from Ryan Coogler. It's the Rocky reboot, torch handoff, whatever you want to call it. You're not built for this. These boys come in here. They got to fight for life. People die in the ring. Your daddy died in the ring. I don't know him. Ain't got nothing to do with me. I've been fighting my whole life. It's not a choice for me. Every punch I ever thrown has been on my own. Nobody showed me how to do this. Love this one. Really enjoyed Creed 2 as well. Um, you know, worthy sequel. Certainly didn't hurt this one at all. But the energy that Ryan Coogler brought to this, uh, the charisma that Michael B. Jordan brings to the role, and uh, believability of that and then sly to come Mm. out of the woodworks and do this and play it like he does. And, you know, the writing is so good and, um, his performance is just really delicate in a way, you know, which you don't expect from like a boxer guy. And, um, I just really like this movie. It's like a father son kind of relationship, um, that builds and it's very derivative of the Rocky story, but, it's still impactful, you know, uh, for some reason that arc of that character arc is just, and no matter what kind of setting you put it in, it works the, you know, learn the lesson for the greater good kind of thing, you know, losing the end, but learn your lesson, uh, kind of thing. Um, it's such a great execution of that idea. And, um, 
Yeah, definitely one of the, the best sports movies of the past 10 years. And, uh, man, it's amazing how many boxing movies there are. When I was doing my research, <laughs> so can you believe many. there's one bobsledding movie in history? Come on. <laughs> what? Death, taxes, one. and boxing movies. There was like 45 ones that were about sailing, but there was one <laughs> bobsledding movie. <laughs> but uh, it's funny. Um, yeah, Cool Runnings, of course. The, the goat. Um, that's my number <laughs> one movie on my list, movies. You, by the way. you can't take that away from yeah. it. It's, it really, uh, yeah. If you gave out Oscars <laughs> for best bobsledding movie, Cool Runnings yeah. every single year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Creed is my number three and it was only surpassed by Moneyball and one other movie that we'll talk about. But, um, but yeah, Creed is, is really strong and certainly one of the funner theater experiences I've had in, in a long time. That last sequence is gosh, awesome. Oh. I just get goosebumps thinking about, you know, that the way he shot him walking in the arena and all that is so good. I think the first fight is the best boxing match I've seen on film. Yeah. It's the like one that where short with, two round yeah. single shot. It's incredible. Yeah, but it's, Brian, this was your number one. So go off, oh, go man. off King. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm known as a big movie crier. I'm a big baby about like everything. There's, there's any number of things that can get the waterworks going for me. Um, this movie, I I put this on in the background sometimes and I just think, oh, I've seen this movie a dozen times. I can have it on while I'm writing or I'm working or whatever. And that is not true. I end up uh, just standing as close to the TV. This re- this literally happened like two weeks ago. I had it on and then I ended up standing right in front of the TV, staring at it and just bawling my eyes out every time. Like it kills me. There's so many moments the the scene you just mentioned Kyle with the uh that 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 no cut scene is so perfect. Uh the relationship that you mentioned Kent between Rocky and and uh, it's just oh it's so good. And then the final fight with uh you're like you're right Kyle like the fight from a fight standpoint the uh the the fight kind of in the middle of the movie that's the two round with without any cuts. That's a better that's a better scene from that standpoint from an emotion standpoint with Rocky talking him up in the corner and Creed you're just saying like I you know I got to prove that I'm I'm worth it and all this it is it is all the things that get me going as far as the the crying goes and so I think this is a movie that when I see it uh in 10 years for the 150th time I'm still going to get choked up and and uh it is it's just a perfect film. I would say we on our Discord channel uh that we have for our our VIPs our our Patreons uh the other day we were talking about are like making our, our listeners were making their list of the top 10 movies period of, of the decade. And we were all engaging on that. And I was like, I think Creed might be my number two movie of the decade. I love this movie so, so much. So it's a, it was in very, when we started doing that, when you sent the email and said, Hey, you want to do this? I was like, yep. Number one Creed. And then we'll go from there. Nice was, and easy, easy. Yeah. Pick. Very easy. Number one with the bullet. Yeah, I mean, not to besmirch a legend, but the final fight of Creed, comparing that to Rocky, the original Rocky, that fight seems so cartoonish and overdone. And this one is just, this movie's so good. Uh, I have two questions to you guys about this movie, kind of about this movie. Did watching Sylvester Stallone lose the Oscar for this movie hurt more than Michael Keaton losing the Oscar in Birdman? Both of them like putting up a speech. <laughs> Both of them like guaranteed winners going to finally get their due and neither wins. Yeah, I remember Brian being devastated when Sly didn't win this award. He was nominated though. He was. Yeah, he lost to Mark Rylance. 
Yeah. Mark Rylance was great. Mark Rylance was great in Bridge of Spies. That is a great performance. And maybe that helps it a little bit knowing that, uh, you know, that he, that he lost to a really great actor and a great performance. I can't remember who won the year Keaton lost. He, uh, Eddie Redmayne won for Theory of Everything. That one's way worse. That one's so much worse. Yeah, that one is. That one is. I'm sure even Eddie Redmayne (laughs) would, would give that one back. Yeah. And he was like 30 too. Redmayne was like 30. So he's got years and years and years to win another that, one. Michael Keaton is like in his such 60s. Oscar bait too. Oh my gosh. Oh my. And oh dude, can't you remember this now? <laughs> Not that this should necessarily play in the voting at all. It doesn't really matter. But Jupiter Ascending had come out like two weeks before the Oscar. Oh yeah. Oscars. And everyone <laughs> and thought that was going to ruin his chances because he's so atrocious. That that. And that's one of the five worst movies we've, we've reviewed in the seven years of doing this show. Like so bad that when I walked out of the theater, Jupiter Ascending, I texted Kent and our co-host Richard immediately and said, I demand that you guys go see this movie so <laughs> yeah. that we can talk about it. It was so <laughs> freaking bad. Um, and you get to see Redmayne up there getting his trophy and whispering into the microphone two weeks after Jupiter Ascending came out. I, well, now I'm all, I'm all worked up. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. In well, the I, moment, I've got though, one more thing that was tough. Sly hurt more. So, I've got the sorry. one thing about Creed that was tough. The, uh, the ATVs doing the, the wheelies behind, behind, uh, Creed as he's, <laughs> oh, yeah, as he's running down the street. That's the only time this movie goes from, oh, this is a gritty, really good boxing movie to, like, guys, what the hell is going on? I'm for it, though. I'll take it. (laughs) I'm so in the bag on it, it doesn't matter. Like, when that scene plays, you're right. You're totally right. It's it's kind of an outlier and a a flair versus substance kind of thing. But with the score coming up on that, too, because the the score kind of starts slow on that scene and and just bombs through at the end, I, I, I love it. I'm in. I'm totally in on it. I I wish they'd use the Rocky music more. And that's my like only regret with mm. Creed is that they don't embrace the iconic theme. I mean, they do in, in Creed 2 a little bit more, but you just think that that would be like such a big player in this, you know, because it's so great. Um, well, I think and, they were trying to make space from the the Rocky series, like keep the roots. Obviously, you still have Rocky, but make a little space. Mm-hmm. I understand that, but like when he fully embraces himself, that's when it should be. All right, this is Rocky movie now, mm. and mm. and I mean, it just feels like doing. I don't even know how to compare it. Um, and it honestly feels like doing. A Star Wars movie and saying we're not going to take any John Williams like <laughs> music as reference. We're just going to like do what we do and see. And it's going to, you know, that's what it kind of feels like. Just because it, the, um, the score of Rocky is just so one and the same with that film. It's just hard to separate the sure. two, you know? And that's the only thing that I felt like Rocky has over this one is just that iconic score that you can't, it's unmistakable, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought they used it all right. You're right. Like, they do. They, they do use it, more. but. But at um, the very, what yeah. I did like though versus Creed 2, Creed 2, one of my biggest complaints with it was when they did run with the score, I wanted it to pound. I wanted it to mm-hmm. come in hard. And Creed got that big time. Like the sound mix on it is just unbelievable. Creed 2, a little bit, a little bit lesser on that front. We'd be remiss not to mention Tessa Thompson in this movie yeah, too. Sure. She's really good. She's excellent for sure. Even better in the sure. second one. She it's, is like yeah. it's much more her. It's it's a lot more her in the second one, and that's that's outstanding. But Michael B. Jordan, it's all Michael B. Jordan and Sly in the, in the first one, and 
And now when I rewatch Creed, Tessa Thompson's so good in the movie that I forget how much I hate Charlotte Hale in Westworld. Like hate, hate, <laughs> yeah. hate, can't stand her. It but she's so good in Creed that I can I can get over it for the most part. Exactly. Yeah, same with me and Ryan Cooler's got, you know, a lot ahead of him. You know, he's yeah. he's got a bright career and it's sad <laughs> that Sly this might be the last great thing we see from Sly, you know. Um Rambo, bro. <laughs> no, I know. Ooh. I know. Tough. Tough. Uh, <laughs> let's tough get thing. in. So my uh, Creed was my number two. Kent, yours is Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, your number two is one of my favorites. I, I had it on my honorable mentions. I probably should have put it on the list. It's something that not enough people have seen. Mm. Brian, your number two. Yeah, number two for me is Warrior. The came out in 2011. It's Tom Hardy and uh, and Joel Edgerton. Um, and it's UFC. I don't give a rip about UFC at all. Same. Like I'm, I'm not a UFC guy in the slightest. And, uh, but this one, I think it really prior to Creed coming out, I would say this was the movie that most embraced the kind of boxing, the classic boxing movie type tropes and the, the theme and the feeling and all that sort of stuff. And then having the, the two main characters are brothers and they're fighting against each other and stuff. And, it's it is really outstanding and it's one that um i think outshine like i don't think joel edgerton will ever do anything as good as he is in this movie uh the the director uh whose name i'm forgetting gavin uh, o'connor yeah gavin o'connor i don't know that he's ever gonna do anything this good tom hardy's pretty great uh when he's not venom and such so i you know who knows but it 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 kind of it almost like out outdoes the parts, you know, and becomes something that's that's much greater. Uh, and it's it's a really it's very interesting. It's engaging, and it's it doesn't play as over long or 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 any of that stuff. And so it kind of hits all the all the right marks for me of what I'm looking for in a sports movie. And um, one that again, prior to Creed coming out, I'm just like, yeah, oh yeah, that's that's definitely my my favorite of the decade. Just Nick Nolte down. in this movie too. Nick Nolte's great, and there's times where Nick Nolte is such a beatdown <laughs> on screen uh, that you know that cigarette voice of his and such can be, but it's used perfectly in this, and he he fits that role really really well. And, and uh, O'Connor does a great job of of putting him there. And so it's it's and the the action in it is very solid. Again, I'm not a UFC guy, so. Maybe there's uh, tons of things that I'm just not noticing because I don't really know the sport too much. But for as an outsider, at least it looks incredibly realistic and it's done at least to the the degree that you're going to get in a in a boxing movie. It does the UFC side of that very, very well. Guys, you would know better than me. Why wasn't this movie bigger? I caught it randomly. I, I don't remember how I actually saw it, but I remember when it finished. I was like, why is nobody talking about this movie? I, I, yeah, I kind of had the same experience cause I saw it and it came out in September, early September too. That's a bad, that's pretty bad release window. Typically that's where you dump movies that you thought might be really good, but turned out not to be particularly good. Uh, if you're a studio, so that's part of it. I think I, maybe, I don't know, maybe the UFC, maybe the audience for UFC movie is smaller than expected. There haven't been very many movies that that get in that are ufc based so um perhaps that's that's part of it and you know it's a small film it doesn't have it doesn't have any true stars and it's certainly not at that time for sure with with tom hardy 
Um, maybe his star is, is brighter now than it was in, in 2011, but it certainly wasn't then. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this, we, again, in our little discord channel, when people were, we probably got 50 lists, Kent, would you say something like that yeah. through, on that channel? And Warrior was listed as the number one movie for, for a fair number of people from, tw- from 2011. So uh, I think that it's, I don't know if I would go so far as to call it a cult classic, but it kind of has those uh, bones, I guess. That it, if, it's like if you've seen it, you love it. If you haven't seen it, you're like, I don't even know what that is. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's a strange kind of slip through the cracks type of a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it's something I've been wanting to cover this movie since I started the podcast. But MMA is really so off my radar. I don't even know like who I'd who I'd mm. reach out to as a guest. And I think MMA sure. is a you know kind of like you said, it, it's not it's not quite on everyone's radar. But the movie, the scene between uh, Tom Hardy and Nick Nolte in the casino, yeah, is just like I'm pretty sure that was Nick Nolte's Oscar clip. But it, I mean, it's just so good. So Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was actually, Nolte was nominated for an Oscar this year, the same year as Jonah Hill was for Moneyball. Mm. He lost to, uh, I guess it was Christopher Plummer, didn't he win that year? Yeah, for uh, Beginners. Mm. Nice. But um, without further ado, I think we only have one movie left. It's Kent's number one. Kent, take it away. Uh, Yeah, this was my number one. You know, like I said, I'm a big fan of real stories. I'm a big fan of documentaries and... This one happened during my lifetime, so I'm sure it, it impacts it a lot more, but it's Catching Hell, the 30 for 30 about um, the Alex Gibney um, directed 30 for 30 about the um, uh, Steve Bartman incident with the Chicago Cubs. Out of 40,000 seats, what are the odds that a ball will seek you out? ball to left toward the line, Alou over. Imagining that possibility is part of the magic of baseball. But for one fan, the dream of making that catch turned into a nightmare he could never have imagined. And leaping up, Alou cannot make the play. And Moises is unhappy with the fans, but Moises went into the seats. He could have had that ball. A fan interfered with him. A loyal fan, a young man named Steve Bartman, who wanted to catch a ball caught something else instead and to me nothing really crossed over sports in real life like that story about a guy who's just going to the game of his favorite team and tries to catch a foul ball and literally ruined his life i mean Gosh, man it's unbelievable like the way that this thing is produced and the way you know it's kind of about this writer going to trying to track him down and the fact that he, no one knows where he is, and the people that do know where he is won't tell, and how he has nothing, he wants nothing to do with anything. And then, you know, they should have made like a little epilogue to this after the Cubs won the World Series. And, uh, you know, in 20, I guess it was 16, they won. And, um, mm-hmm. and they gave like, they made a public thing, and, and I think it gave him a ring or something, and, or, they tried you know, to get him to come out. They tried to get him to come to the parade, and he declined to come out and do the whole public thing. Which I don't blame him for at um, all. <laughs> yeah, but like, I think he did release a statement saying, you know, I'm so happy as a fan that this finally happened. Maybe people will start to forgive me finally. Like, it literally took to 2016 for people to <laughs> not like want to kill that guy, you know? Yeah. It's unbelievable. And, 
you know, it, they, they cover it from the perspective of like the guy, the, the TV truck, you know, like what they're thinking, like they have an obligation to cover this story, you know, but at the same time, they're putting this guy's face on national TV. And this is yeah. kind of before Twitter. I mean, imagine if this was Twitter, Gosh. this guy's Twitter would have been oh, out he there. He might be dead. So bad yeah. happened during the Twitter. Right. Yeah. And he, the oh, way he had to get escorted out and, oh, I mean, I want to go back and watch it again. It's just... I remember, you know, watching it at the times like that's the best sports documentary I've ever seen. It isn't even close, and I haven't seen one as good since. I don't. It think makes your anymore. heart ache for the guy right. when it's over. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just nothing. Like I said, has crossed between a game and real life better than that documentary. Um, and so, yeah, Catching Hell is is my number one. Makes you Give not want to buy Moises Alou a beer either. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> the way he slams his glove on the ground and threw a big fit and. Pudge Rodriguez went on to win the World Series that year with right. the, Mar- the Marlins, I think it was. Yeah, the Marlins uh, won that Gosh, year. so yeah, Never forget that Moises yeah. Alou peed on his hands. <laughs> well, it's just another reason to hate him. Yeah. If didn't need, need, en- uh, need enough reasons or, or have enough reasons already. But <laughs> Man. Well, yeah, yeah, Catching Hell is is about as good as they get, man. And Alex Gibney is, Great. is yeah. fantastic. He's done a couple of ones. He did one on Lance Armstrong that was... That was really, really well done as well. Um, that's about the whole blood doping thing. Uh, the Armstrong lie, that, that was what right. that one's called. But, um, but yeah, check out Catching Hell if you're a, if you're a sports movie doc fan. Um, it's worth your time. You can't go wrong with that. I mean, you know, a lot of, like we said earlier, a lot of the 30 for 30s, uh, so good. Um, guys, it was awesome having you on talking your favorite movies. Uh, I, I put a little bonus thing at the end for worst movie, worst sports movie of the decade. If you have one, Brian, I th- I think you and I might be on the same page with uh, cool. with Trouble with the Curve. Did you guys have any other nominees for worst sports movie of the decade? Mine was Draft Day. Um, yeah, Draft Day offended me <laughs> on a in a really personal level. Um, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it at all. And got to spread the ashes the day of the uh, draft. Yeah. That was so funny to Gosh, me. Or like me. watching tape the day of the draft too was hilarious. <laughs> As if you had, hadn't Boston. already made your board like the day of the draft. Like <laughs> trading. All right, guys, we got we got an hour till the draft. Let's get this thing together. <laughs> so funny. I love so, it. It's so offensive. And who I is think... the actor that calls him? Um, isn't it uh, Chadwick Boseman? Yeah, yeah like Vontae calls Mack. Mack. Chadwick yeah. Boseman. Mack. Yeah. yeah, and he's like. Man, I've just wanted to be a Brown my whole life. Like that's just one of those movies where you could tell they wrote the script and like the name of the team was blank, you know, and they just like <laughs> submitted it to the NFL and they're like, All right, find a team that's willing yeah. to do this and the right. Browns were it right. and it negated like the entire all the script basically. <laughs> entire experience. Yeah. yeah. So funny. Yeah. I will say Dude, I'm gonna I, throw back a quote from uh, or I guess a paraphrase quote from the episode when we covered this with I guess our, our mutual buddy, uh KT. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he said early in the episode that the movie wasn't good, but he never was not entertained throughout the whole movie, which I think is kind of fair. It's almost like funny bad, where I think Trouble with the Curve is just bad bad. That's what I would say. I think Trouble with the Curve is a worse movie. Um, It almost doesn't feel like a sports movie. It just feels like a crappy Clint Eastwood movie through the medium of sports, you know? Um, But never forget, Trouble with the Curve has... Uh, a sexual abuse subplot. Um, it has. It opens with Clint Eastwood trying to to get his junk to pee for like six minutes. Uh, it 
it has uh, some racial issues as well. I mean, it's it is a train wreck of a movie all all around. It's it's horrible. But Draft Day is the I will say this. I think Draft Day is the 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 bigger um, waste of opportunity because they got the NFL in. Oh they got, yeah, they had footage. They had good camera work. Awesome. I mean, the whole they had yeah totally. They had everything they needed to make a passable film at least. And instead they did the most wheels off version of it that you could have possibly done. You know what it's happened? So Brian. bad. Oh, you know what really happened? Oh, I'm sure the NFL. No, Jennifer Garner was involved in oh. negated it. <laughs> it had to be an NFL, NFL GM, Jennifer Garner, movie. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you know, the most unrealistic part of draft day is when Goodell comes out on stage and he's not booed. He's cheered <laughs> in the movie, which is the most glaring thing of all the unrealistic things, a, a draft pick calling a GM, mm. um, all the trades, everything that goes on. Roger Goodell not getting booed to death when he comes out on any stage is yeah. just it's too much it's for true. me. It's true. Can't get that through the NFL, though. They wouldn't let that happen, I'm sure. Yeah, but Trouble with the Curve, in my opinion, is worse. Um, there, there, weren't the, uh, the, there weren't the two words to describe it when it came out that we have now, but Trouble with, just to describe Trouble with the Curve, it's okay, Boomer. That's, that's it. It's just... <laughs> wow, it's I need like to see this. I don't think I've seen Trouble with the Curve. It's awful. Yeah. This is when Timberlake was trying to like really be an actor, wasn't he? Like, In yeah. Time was, came out around this time, I think, yeah. too. Yeah, the, he he's tough in this one. He's he's really tough in Trouble with the Curve. The whole movie's so it's so bad. It's so yeah, bad. the whole I'm not kidding, Kent. The entire movie hinges on a sexual abuse subplot. Oh, that's the nice. point. Of, it, it, nice. it is. I just remember sitting watching it, and I turned to my wife and was just like, and I just loudly said, "What is happening right now?" <laughs> and I felt like the whole theater was like, "Yeah, what's what's going on here? This this doesn't make a whole lot of sense." Well, all three of us love Moneyball, and Moneyball brought in it had baseball consultants, and the the film mm-hmm. was surrounded by ex minor leaguers and, and guys who played, and it just had a lot of base in the sport. And it's like they had no one on the movie. They had no. like Clint, you know baseball, right? And he's like gruffly like, "Yeah,", <laughs> yeah. and that's it. That's all yeah. they had. <laughs> Man, good times. I struck out Jackie Robinson once. <laughs> okay, Clint, just easy, bro. Tough driving around. He can't see. It's just it, it's <laughs> it's so bad. It's pretty terrible. It's it's so bad. But guys, I had a blast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Tell the folks again where they can find Matt about movies and anything else you guys want to plug. Yeah, you can find Matt about movies at mattaboutmoviespodcast.com and on Twitter at mattaboutmovies. And subscribe on all your platforms. And you can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison and at theathletic.com uh, NFL side of things if you want my sports podcast. Brian, what sure. about you? You can find me on Twitter at Beagle 12. You can find uh, my other show, basketball show, Spread the Floor, on pretty much every podcast streaming platform, as well as Twitter at Spread Floor NBA and Instagram at Spread the Floor Podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. Uh, Hope you're enjoying DCOM December right now. We've got episodes every Monday, and we will catch you in 2020. Thanks.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.